So today we are continuing our study in the book of Jude. And we've been the last couple of weeks off. I was gone for a week and Rip did a great job filling in. And he didn't fill in. He preached, man. He, he, he gave the word. There's no filling in there. You know, as a pastor, he's a pastor. And I uh, appreciate that. Jackie did a wonderful job last week with Mother's Day. And if you haven't gone back and if you weren't here last week for Mother's Day, I really encourage you to go back and listen online. You can go to our, the Centerpoint Facebook page. And all the, all the messages are put online there later in the week. And uh, Rip's message is there, and Jackie's is there, and just it was just a blessing. And thank you so much for being faithful and uh, just encouraging us with good words. So we're in, about, we're in the study of, of Jude, and uh, we've already introduced Jude as being a half-brother of Christ. We're not going to go there again. I think that's important that we recognize that every time we talk about him. That's just a cool thing to think that he lived with Jesus. But he didn't pull that into his, he didn't pull a Jesus card he knew that his relationship with God the Father was through Jesus the Son spiritually, not through a physical Jesus. And, that was, and that's what gave him his authority to speak and read and write the way he did. And in all honesty, that's what gives us our authority to read the Word of God and to speak the Word of God and then to proclaim it. Is The same authority that Jude had through the power of the Holy Spirit to write it it's the same authority we have to read it and apply it. So with that, turn, in, turn with me to your, our text this morning in Jude chapter 3. I'm sorry, Jude, verses 3 and 4. That's such a hard book because there are no chapters. This is Jude, verses 3 and 4. And you can, uh, oops, i got to turn my flipper on here, sorry. This is our text. Would you stand with me? And let's read together our text this morning. Jude, verses 3 and 4. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain people whose condemnation was written about them long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Let's pray. Father, these are fighting words. And we just want to know how to preach these words today. So, Father, I ask you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to anoint and our ears to listen and be opened to hear what you would have to say as we correctly divide the word of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as we've said before, Jude is a short letter, but yet very impactful into the generation that he was writing and very impactful into our generation today. The last time we gathered together, th three weeks ago when we were in our, the study, we were talking about how we were to contend for the faith, as we talked about in, in the third verse, that he felt compelled to write and urged, but he felt then urged to contend for us to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted. So we talked great detail about what it means to contend, how we fight for something that we know is true and how we stand for it, and how the cur what courage it takes and boldness it takes to contend. 
we understand that this is a spiritual battle and that the enemy of God is an enemy of ours, then he is out to destroy everything godly. That includes you and that includes me. You have a target and the enemy is pulling, pulling back his bow and uh, throwing all kinds of devilish arrows he can, but we have a guardian angel that is powered by the Holy Spirit to guard and protect us. But our passage today, we're talking about how the dangers of what it means to add to the gospel of the good news. We're going to talk next week about what it's the dangers of what it means to subtract from the good news. Today we want to talk about the danger of adding to the good news because it's a dangerous thing when we add what we think is necessary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 our, in our text says, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have se secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So there's a lot to talk about here. And Jude is, is basically setting up most of the rest of the letter here to talk about how God feels about those that speak lies about him, about the false prophets and the false teachers. God has a very righteous anger for anyone that would speak a an, un a, an untruth about the word of God. God is very jealous for you. He's very jealous for me. He loves us, and he's very jealous for us. And he gets, therefore, righteously angry when someone comes in to try to steal or add to the gospel that he's presented through Jesus Christ. And I think it's very important for us to understand that when we're talking about false prophets and false teachers, we're really talking about the strategy of the enemy and how he works in the life of the church. So when we're talking about false teachers, false prophets, we're, yes, we're talking about people because the enemy works through people just like God works through people. But we're really, what we're really undoing is uncovering the strategy of the enemy because the enemy is out to do everything he can to twist and distort God's word to make it more or less than what God intended it to be. And so as we dig into the details here, this isn't, I don't want anyone to be offended in thinking that we're talking about you necessarily or talking about people. We're talking about the strategy of the enemy and we're trying to uncover his strategy so that we know what he's about. The more I know about my enemy, the better prepared I can be to defeat him and not be defeated by him. Ignorance is not bliss. So we take this deep dive into the enemy's playbook here and we know what he's trying to do. We, he gives us a, a, a preview of what he's trying to do and how he's trying to destroy the church. Does that make sense? I hope so. Because this is very near and dear to the heart of God and how he desires to protect us, his children, from the wiles of the enemy. And we have a responsibility. Every believer has a responsibility to share the truth 
that saves us and the truth that frees us from the destruction of sin. And yet many times we don't either take that responsibility seriously and we don't do it because we're afraid of what people think about us. Or maybe if someone comes to correct us, we get offended because somebody has the audacity to correct us. And so we have a responsibility here. And, and I want to show you a little video here um, that I think will help us understand the significance of why we must share the truth of God's word. There it is, Larry. Hey, bro, look, check it out. Labradoodle. What? Yeah, right down there. Oh, I love good breed. It's so good. Yes, half lab, half moodle. Wait, what? Incredible. Moodle? Yeah. No, that's moodle. not a thing. Ever. No, no, it totally is. Uh, a moodle. Isn't that, isn't that Dave from Econ? Oh, yeah. What is he doing up here? He's probably just enjoying the view, man. Wait, isn't, isn't Dave blind? We gotta warn him. Hey, hey, Dave. Whoa, 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 bro. What are you doing? Just tell Dave what to do. Wait, why? Are you blind? Uh, no. Okay, so then you don't know what Dave's gone through. You can't really relate to him, man. Just, just, just let him be. He's totally fine. He's literally slipping right now. Yeah, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna get all up on him for for slipping. Like everyone slips from here and there. I don't it's care no if he slips. I'm just trying to keep a guy from falling off a cliff. No, no. Okay, listen. What, what I think you need to do right now. So you just need to love him. You need to not point out. What does that have to do with anything? It has everything to do with everything. Okay, like if you if you point out his weaknesses, he won't feel loved. He won't feel accepted. I'm just, feel I'm just accepted. trying to keep a guy from going off the cliff. No, he's not even stopping. You, hey, Dave! No, whoa, whoa, whoa! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! You speak out against blind people. So what many people will be upset with you? with you. No, so many people won't like you. But also, what if what if he doesn't like us anymore? Have you ever thought about that? Dave will be dead. I need to say, hey, no, no, Dave, no, 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 Dave, someone, is someone there? Uh, yeah, hey, Dave, how's it going? It's, uh, it's Charlie from school. Oh, hey, man. Doing this for Dave's birthday. Uh, maybe you can help me out. I seem to have lost a trail somewhere. You, you want to tell me if I'm going the right way? Maybe he is lost. You're right. We should still just encourage him. Yeah, yeah, hey, no, Dave, you know, you're doing great, man. Uh, uh, you know, I love that you're out here, man, too. I I'm proud of you, being out on this trail. You're, you're doing great, man. You're, you're doing great. Oh. Okay, thanks, man. I say I'm going the right way. Watch, he'll figure it out. Just gotta love him through his problems. Yeah, you got it, man. It's a little uh, telling, isn't it? 
What were these guys doing? What were they doing? They were up there enjoying the view, distracted by all the Unnecessary things of life, looking at a labradoodle, not a labramoodle. But isn't that just kind of our life, that we're just kind of doing our life? And if something becomes obvious to us that we need to point out to somebody else, and I'm not saying we do this in anger or judgment, I'm saying we do this in love. Concern for someone, a brother or sister or a dear friend, that is walking towards a cliff, and we have a responsibility to warn them. In fact, the, the blind man even asked, and they still wouldn't admit the fact that there's a problem. What friend are you? What kind of a friend are we? This video was made by John Bevere. We did a study a few, few couple years ago on, the, the book was called Kryptonite, and we did a study on this on our Wednesday night Bible study, and uh, that's where this video came from, so I just want you to know that John Bevere's ministry to put this together. I thought they did a really good job. So that brings me to the fact that, um, Larry, you have to restart my, my PowerPoint, I think. Um, that brings me to the point of where we're at in our Bible study this morning in that who are these certain individuals that are slipping into the church? What kind of people were they? Well, to understand who these people were, we need to go back to Paul's writing to those to the Galatians. And Paul's book, the Galatians, was written 20 to 30 years prior to this time. And um, what we're finding now is that the same type of people were slipping in, still slipping into the church of, uh, of Jude's day. But going back to, Jane, to, to Galatians, we, I want to set the tone here a little bit for this because Peter, I'm sorry, Paul had come back after he'd been converted from Saul to Paul on the road to Damascus, now 14 years later, he comes back into Jerusalem to talk to the disciples. And he's basically confirming his gospel message that Jesus Christ revealed to Paul. Paul was not taught by humans. Jesus taught Paul the gospel, the good news of the gospel, because Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was well-trained in the Jewish traditions, and he knew all that. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ came to Paul through direct revelation from Jesus Christ. So now Paul comes in to the disciples and he's telling them about that and he's confirming his word to their word and, and they're having conversation. But it's important that we understand this because um, the law that the Jewish people were giving prior to the day that Jesus came was a law that was given by God. It was a good law, but it was a law that didn't free people and it didn't save people it was quite a bit different than what paul was talking about from the gospel of jesus christ and i say different from this perspective because the law was given to instruct men how to live before god in a way that met the requirements of god and they were doing this through animal sacrifices they were gaining relationship or fulfilling the laws of God through a blood sacrifice. And so when Jesus came on the scene, he didn't come to change the requirements of God's law. He came to fulfill it. He came to be the blood sacrifice that God required for, for all humanity to come into proper relationship with God. So this action that Jesus did is not the same action that the law brought because the law brought really bondage 
The law didn't bring freedom. What brought freedom was Jesus. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us, that is what frees mankind to have proper relationship with the Father. It's not the law. The law just points out the fact that you're sinful people. It's the blood of Jesus that brings freedom. And that moves us from a freedom from religion that we sang about today into a freedom of relationship. It moves us from a really a bondage of religion into a freedom of relationship. And this freedom was really a mystery to the Jewish people of the day because remember, and you know, we, we can't, we don't want to blame them because all they knew was what they knew and they knew, they knew religion. They knew requirements. They knew the law. But the gospel message of Jesus Christ is new to them and the Holy Spirit was to bring it alive to them. At that time, um, what set them apart in the Jewish tradition was circumcision that every male had to be circumcised, and that was the indicator that they were set apart. And the Jewish people at the day were still struggling with that. They were still struggling, well, should a man be circumcised? And what God is saying, well, no, we don't need circumcision from a physical standpoint, but we need a circumcision of the heart because God sees the heart of a man. And when our heart is circumcised through the Holy Spirit, then God sees the heart of a man, and now we're set apart through a spiritual circumcision and not a physical circumcision. And that takes us then to Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. So remember, we're talking about who were the false believers that Jude was talking about? Well, we're identifying them right now through Paul. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. So these are the type of people that were still infiltrating the church 20, 30 years later, and Jude is talking about them. In reality, these false teachers made up various traditions and many different versions of falsehoods then and still today. And it really doesn't make any difference what the false message is or was. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's a false teaching. And it needs to be dealt with accordingly. And that's what Jude was dealing with. The reality is the enemy takes God's word and he twists it. He takes it that is God's word is written very precisely, very accurately, very really easy to understand. And the enemy will take it and twist it any way he can to get it off the straight and narrow of the narrow road and put it into the crooked way of the wide road. And he'll take it to the extremes. And when we get into the extremes of the gospel message, it becomes distorted and twisted. And that's where we lose the freedom that it's intended to bring. So I want to take our text this morning, and we're going to really focus on two major forms of false teaching. We're going to be focusing today on the form of adding to the gospel. And the next week, we're going to talk about the form of taking away from the gospel. Both of them are on the extreme of what God is trying to indicate to us. So what do I mean here that the false teachers either add 
or take away. A false, when you add something, a false teacher can either add on a bunch of unnecessary rules and regulations that only work to enslave people, making a relationship with God impossible. Because we are putting our own man-made traditions on the grace of God. Or they can take away from the true requirements of what it means to maintain a relationship with God that brings a false sense of security but no lasting relationship. Either way, the freedom giving truth of the gospel is compromised and the enemy wins. The devil doesn't care how he wins as long as he wins and you lose. So he doesn't care which way you go. He doesn't care if you become legalistic or if you become so liberal that anything goes. He doesn't care. Either way, he wins and you lose. That's all he's about. So today we're going to talk about what does it mean to add to the gospel message. What does this mean? Well, the false teachers in Paul's day and that he was dealing with in Galatians, they, they were holding on to the old Jewish traditions that Jesus came to fulfill and to basically relieve them from. The death and the resurrection of Jesus brought freedom and it brought fulfillment to the Jewish law. But according to the Jewish people of the day, the religious Jewish leaders, their belief and their traditions were more important than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They just couldn't get over the fact that it's a simple believing in Jesus. They had to add to it. They needed to add on their Jewish laws and their customs in addition to the grace that Jesus offered to be saved. And that's what Paul was trying to teach against. They were mixing man-made rules over and above the, the laws of the Old Testament, which were good laws, they were proper, but many of them could go away, the, the traditions could go away, the rituals could go away, the sacrifices could go away because Jesus became the sacrifice. But they were saying, no, his grace isn't enough. We need to add our own faith. We have to add our own traditions, our own regulations to the grace of Jesus. And that's what God that's what Paul was trying to bring out into the, to the Galatians at that time, that God didn't need any help saving you. <laughs> he did it on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. And I will say, this is where it kind of gets close to home for me. And I'll be very honest with you today, because this is probably where I struggle a little bit. And I can see how this happens. I'm a church person. I've grown up all my life in the church. And being a church person, I've learned how to make a set of rules and how to put regulations together so that I can live by them and, and I can put rules and regulations on other people and if I don't see other people living up to my rules and regulations, then I have questions about their salvation. You know what I'm talking about? But how did Paul deal with that? What was Paul's response to that? The next verse said, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. In other words, Paul says, I have none of that. I'm not playing that game, boys. I'm not going there. The grace of God through Jesus Christ is enough to save us. I don't need your traditions on top of it. Because those traditions don't make it life. They make it bondage. 
They make us go back and live by the law. And the Bible says if you don't live by all of the law, you live by none of the law. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't entertain their line of thinking at all. He refused to give in. Why? Because any kind of compromise of God's word will twist and distort the truth of the freeing message that God intended to bring. And compromise is a form of lying. Think about it. It may not be a full-faced lie, but a compromise is a form of lying. And lies don't bring freedom. Lies bring bondage. When was the last time somebody lied to you and you believed them and it brought you freedom? Has it ever happened? Lying does not bring freedom. I can, make, I can, say, I can say the greatest lie, but it's not going to free anybody. All it does is put me and them in bondage to that lie. Because now I have to say the same lie over and over and over again. And that's not freeing. There's no life there. Jesus brings the truth of the good news of the gospel. And that gives life and it gives freedom. Jesus didn't die so that we had to keep the law in order to be saved. Hear me. He didn't die so that we have to keep the law to be saved because if that was the case, then why did he die? If the law could save me, then Jesus died for nothing and he suffered for nothing. If law can save, then Jesus wasted his life. Pretty amazing. The law only gives us the identity that I've sinned. But it cannot save us. And that's what Paul's trying to say in that whole discourse in Galatians. We have to remember here that Paul is talking here to Jewish leaders, disciples, and he's reminding them that the Jews and the Gentiles all come to God the Father through the same way, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It does not come through their traditions. Go down to verses 15 in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 15 um, Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Paul says, You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made, be made right with God by obeying the law makes it very obvious, very plain to the boys to say, guys, the laws are for yesterday. We're in an age of grace today. We have to know, we, we, we get saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ. But then he goes on, Paul goes on and he challenges the believers in Galatia by asking them some questions because the false teachers that are claiming, that are there, they're claiming that people need to be circumcised and follow the Jewish laws after they're saved and Paul goes on to challenge them. Galatians chapter 3, the first five verses. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you one, this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. 
You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Clearly, our relationship with God comes through our belief and acceptance of who Jesus is. Life, death, and resurrection. And that gives us eternal life and the peace thereof. Yet, yet there is that pull from the humanistic, the, the human perspective. That we want to humanize it somehow, some way. <laughs> we want to we bring it down to our level somehow, some way. We want to... We put rules and regulations on it somehow in some way, and we want to try to please God through our own righteous behavior. But Paul's making it perfectly clear here that the observance of the law cannot do that. It's all about living an act of faith in Jesus. I think we all know that by now, don't we? So let's go to the next level here a little bit. Does that mean now that we are free through the grace of God. Now, does that mean that we can live without rules or regulations? Now we're getting to the point that we need to talk a little bit. Because we're, we've been, it's easy to say, God, we shouldn't be adding on to the Scripture. I get that. But what does it mean now when it comes to, are there rules? And are there things that we need to be doing? And the reason I'm so familiar with this is because I grew up in this church and I grew up in a, a good way. I, 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 I'm, I'm very thankful for my upbringing. But I, I was very legalistic in some of the things without really understanding why I knew what I was to do or not to do. A person can be legalistic and very religious and yet be totally lost spiritually. Is that a true statement? Yeah, I think so. A person can be legalistic and very religious and yet be totally lost. But if we look at Scripture and read the, word, read the words of Jesus, he has some very interesting things about how we prove our love to him by our willingness to obey him. Hmm. Interesting. Turn with me in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 15, and it goes through 17. He says, Jesus, these are Jesus' words. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. But then Jesus skips down a few verses later in verses 23 and 24. He says, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So obviously, if Jesus is saying this, there must be rules to follow. He wouldn't say, obey me, if there weren't rules. So now we're getting into the mystery here a little bit, because I thought, we just said that grace 
fulfills a lot of this. And because I'm living in faith, that the laws don't pertain anymore to me. So now, what does this mean? Am I double speaking? Am I speaking out of both sides of my mouth? Let's use some common sense here. Rules and regulations are necessary in every aspect of life living in a community, isn't it? I mean, we cannot live without rules. We all go to a stop sign, and what do we do? We stop. If the red is red, we stop. If the light is green, we go through. I don't go through a, green, a red light because we follow rules. So every society has rules and regulations, and we think nothing of that. So why wouldn't it be necessary in the life of a Christian? What's wrong with rules? What's wrong with regulations? The question is, how do we follow them without being legalistic? How do we follow the rules without being legalistic? It's not the rules, guys. It's the heart of the man that's the problem. It's not the rules. When God gives me rules to live by, those rules are meant to protect me, not hurt me. He never says no in his word to make my life miserable. He says, no, Mike, don't do that because I'm protecting you from yourself. The no's of God's word are meant to protect me from doing things I shouldn't do because they're going to harm me. See, we can have the same list of rules. And depending on the heart of a man, following them can be life or they can be death. Rules that sound legalistic were this. When I was a kid, we didn't drink, we didn't smoke, we didn't dance, we didn't play cards, we didn't chew, and we didn't go with girls that do. Right? That was it. And when somebody asked me, well, what do you believe? I said, I just told you. What more do you want to know? <laughs> so the question is, are the rules bad? Should I be doing those things? Should I be drinking? Should I be smoking? Should I be dancing? Should I be going to movies? See, this is where the grace of God gets a little bit messy. Because it's not the rules. It's the heart of a man. If I'm obeying the rules just to obey the rules, is that going to save me? Or am, I, if I'm, or am I following the rules because I understand that God says that there's are dangers in those things? And if you now go down and start doing those things, it might get you in a position that you can't handle those things. I know the room gets quiet, as it should. Because these are serious things. I personally don't do most of these things on this list. Now, I can play cards. I can go to a movie. I, I, I can even dance, though I'm not good at it. And my wife will attest to that, as long as I'm dancing with my wife. But I shouldn't dance with Jackie. 
or Jerry. <laughs> I mean, in today's world, we've got to call both of them out, right? I mean, come on, we can't. <laughs> we have to make sure we're even. No, there are certain things that we do with certain logical conclusions. And I know there's a huge issue right now on drinking, on marijuana, on things that would alter the mind. And some could say, I have the freedoms to do that. Okay? A Bible doesn't, it's not black and white there. It's kind of a gray area. So I guess that's up to you. Personally, I will not because I feel that's playing with fire that I don't want to play with. Common sense why says I'm not doing that because I don't know if I can handle that. And when God says no, I'm going to take his word on it because I look at it and say, I mean, I don't want to make this about drinking, but I will just say this. The Bible says do not be a drunkard, right? Where do drunkards go? With liars? Where do liars go? Yeah. So to me, the question says, what defines drunk? Is the buzz drunk? See, if I can't find a clear definition of it, why do I want to play with it? Why, why do I want to get as close as I can to the world, play over here as close as I can to say, God, am I still okay? Why do I want to do that? What does it do for me? Like I said at the beginning of the service today, there's not a lie that frees us. There's not a compromise that brings freedom. Can I just say that whatever you compromise is not taking you closer to the truth? When you compromise, you're taking yourself closer to the lie. Compromise does not bring freedom. It might feel that way because people might look at you and say, I have the freedom to do this. I have the freedom to smoke marijuana. It's legal now in the state of Michigan, right? I can have recreational marijuana. I mean, alcohol has been legal forever. Prohibition didn't work, so they legalized it. They could make money off it. But does that mean it's the best thing that I should do as a Christian, as a believer? The Bible says all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. If it doesn't profit me, why do I go down the path? So when I follow the rules, when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me, it's not a way of him being a hard master. He's not coming to you and trying to make it hard for you. What he's trying to say is, do you love me enough? Do you love me enough to please me? That's what it is. And I want to please him, so I don't want to do anything. I, I mean, I'm sure I do displease him. And I'm sorry, Father, when I displease you because I'm not perfect, but I don't do it intentionally. But for me to do something that's intentionally, potentially displeasing the Lord, that proves my love isn't really that true to him. That's what this is saying. So how do I follow the rules and not be legalistic? I know why they have rules. I know why there are regulations. And I know that when I play with them, I'm only compromising the word of God and I'm only playing more and more into the devil's hand. I'm getting more and more into the wide road that everybody, many people are on. And I'm getting off the narrow road that only a few are on that leads to life. And I'm saying, you know, it's not worth it. <laughs> it's just not worth it to me. There is no fun the world can offer me that would want to take me off the narrow road that lives for Jesus because there's freedom there and there's life there. The Bible, my Bible commentary says it this way. 
Obeying Christ's commands is not optional for those who want to experience eternal life with God. It is an essential aspect of our faith in him, and it is a reflection of true love for him. Love is the only effective motivation for obeying Christ's commands. Trying to follow the commands without a deep love for Christ is legalism, which will lead to failure and frustration. So if I'm obeying the rules just for the fact of obeying the rules, I'm going to be frustrated and I'm going to fail. But if I follow the rules because I have a love for Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to be there to lift me up in the temptation. And there's going to be a freeing nature there. And there's going to be life there. And there's going to be peace there. And there's going to be holiness there. And therefore, I can worship God in holiness as he requires. Jackie, would you come, please? So today we've been talking about the danger of adding to the scripture. Adding to it. We don't want to add our tradition. But rules, you have to understand what they mean. So let me challenge you with some of these questions today. What is our motivation to live the way we do? Why do you live the way you do? Are living by a set of rules and regulations thinking that we're just checking all the right boxes, is that enough to get us to heaven? Is that why we do what we do? Are we being legalistic in it? Maybe we are. As a result of what you do, do you feel an increased sense of obligation and responsibility, or do you feel freedom in life? If you want to know if you're legalistic or not, are you freeing? Do you feel more freedom in the morning when you wake up? Or do you feel more obligated? See, Paul's writing to the Romans encourages us to live lives in holy obedience, not simply just to obey the rules, but to be a good example and, a, and, and, be, and, and not a stumbling block as well for others who would also be striving to enjoy peace. Romans chapter 14, 17 through 19. Paul says this to them. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and reaps human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In other words, live your life like somebody's watching you, because they are. Grandparents, you have grandchildren that are watching you. Moms and dads, you have children that are watching you. Live your life in front of them that is going to lead them in the ways of righteousness, not in ways of compromise. Don't give them a reason to question anything that you do other than the fact that when you die, you want to make sure that they knew grandma and grandpa are in heaven. They don't want to question here. So live your life that way. And when we do that, we can break down the walls of religion and we build up the wall, that, that solid life of relationship with Christ. And as we do that, we can be effective, not only in this life, but eternal life as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day today. And Lord, I just pray that we challenge our lives with our motives. Why? Why am I doing what I do? Why don't I do what I don't do? Would you help me with that, Lord? Would you help me to understand the significance of that? Would you help me to know why I live for you? 
and how my heart wants to please you. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be our judge. We invite you to judge us. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if, there, see if there be any wicked way within me and lead me in a way of everlasting. That's what the psalmist said. And that's what I'm saying. So we just give you the authority, Holy Spirit, to live the way in us. Help us to live the way that pleases you in every way. And we ask this in Jesus' name.